fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to another episode of Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies. This is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology and makes it a reality. We have been entrusted with that responsibility. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. Dan, great to be here. Looking forward to this episode. I, I just am falling more and more in love with holograms. I'm not sure why. Just happened. <laughs> it's the wave of the future, Denon. You know, we can't do this alone. We, we need someone else here, a real person, although he seems like a hologram because he's often broadcasting from an undisclosed location, and that is our enigmatic engineer, Ben Siebser. Ben, are you there? Are you broadcasting? And are you real? Uh, actually, you know, I have built my own holodeck here. That's where I am. So... You know, I, I you know I can't tell you. <laughs> Fair enough. You've de- designed. I assume you're broadcasting from the future as well, and you've designed your holodeck to look like a you know mid 21st century private one bedroom apartment. Uh, so let's talk about this. We are talking about Voyager, which is you know episode four of our Star Trek summer, and we are going to really dive into the hollow world of this. As I mentioned, I'm probably going to get a little philosophical here. We've talked about holodeck stuff on several different um, panels that we've done. I'm going to put some on the YouTube channel. We talked about Spider-Man's villains, specifically Mysterio, where we talked about some holodeck stuff. But wh- I got to tell you here, we t- we've, we've seen several different shows, and I'm seeing a trend here. I got to tell you, Ben introduced me to Star Trek. I hate to say it. I, I told you my favorite show was Next Generation. Voyager, I think, is my least favorite show, and I'm going to tell you why. I think with Voyager and DS9... I was really shocked at how uninspired their characters seem to be. It's almost like this musical chairs of like races and aliens that just kind of switch around and it's like, oh, it's new. You know, it's just not, Star Trek The Next Generation was just such a great redesign. All the characters seem very fresh and new, very different than the original series, but very good, very different. Uh, I got to tell you, this seems very uninspired, especially, I got to tell you, Tovac, the Vulcan character, he seems like a poor man Spock. They couldn't do something interesting or new with him. They couldn't make him like totally illogical or emotional or funny. <laughs> uh, he just seems like like a bad N- Leonard Nimoy impression. I, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But I got to tell you, this was the pits. This is the pits, Ben. You got to defend your show. <laughs> well, I, well, it, it's interesting you bring that, that up because... Tuvok is is supposed to be a full Vulcan, unlike uh, Spock, who's only half Vulcan. So he's actually supposed to be even more boring and uninteresting <laughs> than uh, Spock is. Mission so you just missed the point, Dan. You just missed the point of who he was. I guess so. I mean, maybe. I mean, I look, I found Spock to be kind of boring, too. I thought they could have done something a little, you know, that whole illogical, logical thing was kind of got really tired after the first couple episodes. Maybe I just don't like Vulcans. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that, I'm, that could I'm, be I'm your Vulcanist. Problem, Dan. I think they're tough to like as a character because they don't have any. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, maybe maybe it's my fault. Anyway, uh, yeah, I fell asleep through several episodes. I'm See, not going to lie. That's why DS9 is so great, because there aren't any Vulcans. 
<laughs> Very true. So we're talking about, let's get into the hollow deck. We, we got to get out of the reality of Voyager and into the quasi-reality of Voyager. When we talk about this, we're talking about holograms. We have two basic things I want to tackle here, guys. We've got the hollow deck itself, this artificial world that people can go into and enjoy, but also the Doctor, who is by far one of my one of the my favorite characters on the show, if not the my most favorite character on the show. I was about to say most there. Can I just say my favorite character? I don't have to say most there, right? I can just right. Say no, favorite. I don't think so. Okay, you could say most is favoritist, and that would make it clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to just stick with most favorite because he's not my most favoritist. But we'll go there. So let's. We talked about you know some hologram technology. I want to talk about a couple of very interesting things that I think are available to us, and that is this idea of. Like, what is a hologram? Well, let, let's, de- let's define it first. I'm going to go to you, Denon. I know holograms are kind of your thing. Before I kind of go off here, let's hear what holograms are from your standpoint in the Star Trek world for what we're talking about. Right. So the first thing I think we want to make clear is that holograms in the Star Trek world have nothing to do with holograms as we make them right now, um, except that the word hologram has come to mean more things. So the, the classic basic hologram is really just an interference pattern of two lasers that you then use to reconstruct a three-dimensional image. And in the Star Trek world, I, I understand why they use holodeck and hologram, but these are other constructs that are basically, for lack of a better word, non-matter constructs um, of energy of some sort, which is a weird use of physics words, and we can get into that more later if we want to. But they combine things like magnetic fields, electromagnetic fields, they make them interact with things, and they use transporter technology. So it's really about a very different thing than what we consider a classic hologram, but it's still a cool idea of an electromagnetic field thing that you interact with as if it was a material object. That makes sense. I mean, I will tell you, one of the things I loved about watching this series is this, above all of the other ones that I watched, really made me question what reality was. And I think maybe it's the selection of of things that you picked, Ben, because it made me question, like, what is reality? You've got a doctor who's a hologram that people treat as real. They enter into these worlds, this holodeck, and it's like they get transported. Like, what is real? What isn't? These holograms can walk around the ship. Sometimes they can, sometimes they can't. We see later on they can walk around in the real world. You know, this really was like a mind bender. There's even one episode where the doctor has like this weird like acid trip where he doesn't even know if he's real or not or what he's experiencing is real or not. It got really weird as you know. Yeah, there, that's a, a regular theme in Voyager. There's all sorts of episodes that like try to bend reality. There's one where they get like locked in a dream by like this dream alien. Like <laughs> it, there's this questioning reality. I think is it's a it's a great theme for Voyager because they're out in this unexplored world and it, you know they're facing things that they've never that no one knows about. Well, the Borg do, but you know the Borg aren't talking. Right, <laughs> um, <laughs> pretty tight-lipped that group. Yeah, but they're. Uh, it, it's just fascinating to, this questioning of reality. Like a lot of these episodes are kind of scary in that sense, where it's like, did they really wake up? Are they really out of the holodeck? <laughs> 
Yeah, it was very weird. I mean, it's kind of like when I would watch The Matrix when the first time. It's like, what, wow, what if that was really real? Am I in The Matrix? I mean, I got to tell you, when I first heard of the holodeck, I thought it was for training purposes. I thought it's where they would like basically, you know, like how our military would, you know, does training exercises. I thought they would do this in a virtual world. But in a lot of ways, what I'm seeing is it's kind of where they blow off steam, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they do use it for that as well. But I think that part's boring. So we get to see the fun. We get to see them hanging out with Leonardo da Vinci or going to Tahiti <laughs> right. instead. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, I love in one of the episodes they talk about how, you know, in our world, they go back to like the 1990s and they talk about these non-interactive stories, you know, things yeah, that we man. can't be involved with. And there, I mean, it actually is pretty amazing. They've got hollow novels where you can basically kind of adventure and, and yeah. it's like VR, you know, you're living inside of whatever story you want to live in. I think that's great. Although I don't know which character do you get to choose which character you get to experience the story as, or is it just the main character? I think whoever wrote the no hollow novel decides what which character you are, or well, maybe you can just sub them out because you definitely see people come in and replace and replace uh, other characters. It, it it's tough. It's <laughs> I know weird. It's probably both. And, and Dan, something you said that, you know, when we asked the question, what is a holodeck and what's hollow technology, I find it fascinating. This shows the interesting interaction between science fiction and the technology they have at the time. And this mm -hmm. is why doing the Star Trek for a whole month, I think, has been interesting to me. Because you have the original series where a lot of the tech you see was based on, you know, their assumptions around where tech was going to go. Um, and here, you know, the whole Star Trek kind of, well, what would this virtual reality look like? People knew about holograms, and they thought, okay, maybe that's an interesting way to go. When, when you think about it, our virtual reality that we're developing now, a, a lot of it is just very much, why do you need a whole deck? You just need the visors and the gloves on yourself. Like, it's, you don't need to go to a room to have the holodeck, right? Right. You, yeah, you yeah. just have the right equipment to embed your senses into the world. Um, and it's much more individualistic. So it's kind of interesting the direction VR is going. We're not necessarily trying to build VR rooms. We're just trying to get a VR console, console that's individual, small, and usable. You know, I love that you said that for two reasons. Number one, one of my questions was, how big are the holodecks? Because in <laughs> one of the things we see, they're on like an adventure, and they walk through a forest and then into a castle. And it's like, well, <laughs> how big is the space? <laughs> right? yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You have a limited amount of space. I know the Enterprise and these ships are big, but they're not that big. Well, we see them when they're off. They're not big. <laughs> I mean, Voyager isn't big. Like, Voyager is actually a pretty small ship. That's kind of part of the mm. point of the show. But, yeah, the holodecks are like the size of an apartment. They're pretty small. I, I think part of that transporter tech and, you know, material, you know, fake out material effect is that there's probably like some sort of treadmill situation going on where you think you're walking, but in reality, you're standing still and it's moving the image around you. Yeah. And I think that we see with VR now, right? Like part of the challenge is making sure you don't actually start walking around your room and then the cables all get tied up and you trip and kill yourself, right? <laughs> yeah. So there is, there is more there that I think we, we're, we're learning about and how to do. But it goes to other things we've talked about where it's really about how your senses work. And Dan, you said at the beginning what your sense of reality is. Um, and I, I mean, I, I tend to be one of these people who have very vivid dreams and can remember them. Mm -hmm. And it really makes me wonder, like, 
why is my dream not reality in this? I, I've just always been weirded out by that whole, I don't want to think about it too much. Like, am I dreaming now? And my dream was reality? I mean, right, how would I know? Right. Well, I think working on this show is a dream, if you ask me. I mean, I think yeah. that you're, you're living the best life right now. You know, this because this brings up the other thing I want to talk about is after you said that, you know, I thought of Ready Player One, not the movie, but the book, because the book is great where it talks about these haptic suits and walking on a treadmill and really experiencing VR in a way that fools your senses into thinking that you're there. And I think there are actually a lot of very interesting things that can affect how our brain perceives the world. You know, you can really use delta waves to affect what your brain can do. There's sensory deprivation tanks, you know, which are kind of like you're really like living in a dream by taking away all of the senses. You know, I listen to binaural beats sometimes. They're really when I need to focus. Uh, it's this idea of two different two different sounds inside of your ear one they're just a little bit off and they create this like humming sound but they can really focus your brain at a certain frequency there's all these kind of interesting things that we do so if we can you know if we look at these holodecks from a different perspective are they even real do they need to be real and i think what we're finding is maybe not you know ben he has a secret job as a mad scientist for a place that can you know where they're unlocking the secrets of the mind as i've introduced him recently so it wouldn't surprise me if there are gadgets, gizmos, and even some gear-based technologies that can really kind of fool the brain into thinking things are real when they're not. So what we're seeing on the show is really what's inside their mind. Is that, are we close on that? I'm going to ask you, Ben, are you allowed to disclose anything? I'm like too close. It's certainly possible. I, so what's what's interesting about that is it's it's still, at least for us, it's a lot easier to get stuff out of your brain than it is to get it back in. Like it's a lot. <laughs> I'm wait, not sure if I like that sentence, Ben. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about that either. What do you mean? <laughs> well, like if you if you look at like fMRIs or things like that, like it's a lot easier to see to look at to get a reading of like where's the blood in your brain or where's the electrical activity in your brain than it is to induce that activity back. Right. It's it's very difficult to like point a big magnet or something at your brain and, and make you see a picture. We have no clue how to do that yet. I see. We, okay. we know how to like make flashes in your brain. Like there's these interesting academic studies where they put like this giant magnet basically on the back electromagnet, like just like, you know, like the, Bugs Bunny, right? Just yeah, like Road, the, Road, the, Road, the, Wiley Coyote, um, Wiley Coyote <laughs> um, where they put these giant electromagnets on the back of your head basically. And through that, they can, uh, trigger or they can, yeah, they can trigger your visual cortex and make you see flashes on like either the right or the left or up and down. And you can kind of like do like a, a two bit piece of information there through ah. something like that. Computers started out at two bit, you know, I mean, you've got, yeah. that, that's just the beginning of what is possible once we refine that. Yeah. It's that's something, but it's definitely not, you know, seeing starry night. As if you're, you know, actually at the museum. <laughs> right. So, yeah, you know, yeah. We have a lot. We enough. still have a long ways to go on that front. Though, though, Dan, uh, you know, on the other side, as we've discussed, we have trouble getting it directly into your brain from other means. But I'm, I really think we can't overemphasize how much virtual reality, which is just normal sensory inputs, right? Not directly to the brain, but just uses your eyes, your hands, your ears. I mean, it was a few years ago, but the first time I did VR was a Star Wars game. And I tell you, I was very excited. It felt like holding a lightsaber. I had finally achieved my dream. Um, mm -hmm. right. And I deflected a lot of, of bolts back at those stormtroopers and killed many of them. So <laughs> right. I was a very successful Jedi my first time out. 
Um, I, I think the more fascinating challenge technology from a hologram point of view is it, when you look at the hollow doctor, my first thought, and, and I forgot about this, you know, so we're re- rewatching these episodes many years later and I turn it on and it's the very first episode. I, I wanted to just get the preview, you know, the premiere. And the first time they hand something to the doctor and he holds it, I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, right, right. How yeah. can a hologram be holding anything? You know? So that's the part that is, is, fascinating, but actually really, really hard to imagine from a physics point of view. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It only gets worse from there as far as his storyline goes, as far as (laughs) from a feasibility, believability standpoint, uh, which we're going to get to in a second. But I want to say one thing. So we are recording this a little behind the scenes here. We're recording this on the summer solstice, which is important because today there's a French musician named Jean-Michel Jarret who performed what he claimed to be the world's first avatar performance, like in The Matrix. So this happened today. And essentially, it's an AR, VR type of experience that's on YouTube. I caught some of it. I'm going to put links on the website, as I always do. And I I will say it's an interesting idea because he was essentially like, you know, he had all this equipment they show at the end, like all that he's kind of hooked up to. And but during the performance, you see this avatar of him performing music. And then in the on the dance floor, there's all these little, you know, World of Warcraft ish type of characters that have kind of popped out. And, you know, these little Minecrafty type of people that are watching the performance. But, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. People can't go out. This is the kind of thing that speeds along this type of technology that you, maybe you don't have to leave your house to attend a concert anymore, you know, or, or a sporting event. These it, it, That was really kind of odd to me to see that. It's happening today. I thought it was very relevant and, and very, very interesting and intriguing. Well, it is interesting, Dan, not quite on the avatar level. Just to put in a plug for my own university, UCI, a number of years ago, we pioneered one of the first concerts that was a jazz, I believe it was jazz, I hope I have the type of music right, uh, multiple musicians all in different locations. But the, you know, the bandwidth speed of the internet had gotten so good, it was like they were playing in the same place. And then you could listen, watch the concert from anywhere. So wow. a, a slightly different element, but certainly a piece of building a sort of virtual reality experience. Wow, the anteaters do it again. You know, that's a, I yep. love that. They're right there <laughs> in the forefront. Uh, so, I mean, so people are doing this type of stuff, and I think we're, we're pretty close on this. I want to talk, you mentioned the doctor, Denon, and and this is what, what I, what's interesting from a character standpoint is the doctor, from what I understand, really takes kind of the data role in this. Like, he's he's not an android. He's a hologram. So I guess it's like next next gen, next gen, right? Like, it's the next generation <laughs> of next gen. I, I, you know, I, I was... Here's what's surprising to me about this. I was really shocked that Star Trek doesn't have more robots. I, I'm surprised that they didn't have more people like Data and that they went with a hologram on this because this hologram is essentially the same thing. He's a, He's got an AI. He wants to be human. You know, it's the same kind of storyline. He wants to be real yeah. and solid. But in a lot of ways, he is. He has a relationship with another hologram. I, I found this to be a little hard to, to believe when you think of that they're just photons being projected or, or I don't know what they were, but th- that was difficult yeah. for me, i got to admit. Well, I, th- I think what's interesting about it, though, is unlike Data's trying to be a human, but like the impetus for the doctor to be more human isn't a desire to be human more so than to be a better doctor. Like his programming is to be the best doctor. And 
when the Voyagers pulled into the Delta Quadrant, the real doctor, the actual doctor who was on the ship is, is killed. And so Janeway tells the, the emergency medical hologram, hey, you're, you're the chief medical officer now. Start working on your program so you can be a better doctor because you got to do everything. <laughs> and, it, and it's interesting to see that he, his programming is, is very focused on how do I make a better bedside manner? And his, and his realization there is to be, have a better bedside manner, I have to act more human. Hmm. Okay, that makes a little more sense. I understand that. I mean, you mentioned one thing that that's also very weird is that he's the chief medical officer. He barely exists in reality, and he <laughs> outranks the captain. There's an episode that yeah. that you watch that, like he makes some medical decision. The cat. I think the. I don't remember how exactly it went down, but all I know is he got to make the decision, and everyone had to follow it, which is just bananas when you think about it. That you know, and that we would kind of give that level of authority to something that barely exists, you know, except as photons. Well, you would give it, oh, I would say you would give it to the chief medical officer. You know, I think Bones, if, you know, Dr. McCoy, if uh, Kirk was ever really, really sick, he would say, hey, buddy, <laughs> you know, you got to go to sick bay. you know, let, let uh, Spock take over for the day. And I, that seems like a standard part of Federation protocol. Yeah, but his nickname is Bones, and that would imply that he has them, which the doctor <laughs> in this show does not, which is why it's a little odd, you know? It is odd, Dan, and I, I think something you just said there, um, he's just a bunch of photons. So I'll, I'll say two things. Quickly on the, the being in charge thing, that's the scary AI side, right? <laughs> he is artificial intelligence, right? Um, right and that's right. the similar to data. Right. And would we let artificial intelligence make decisions over us? It's kind of like the inverse of our genetic engineering overlord stuff we talked about with DS9. <laughs> right. But yeah. one, I just got to sneak in one sort of very geeky physics piece. Right. Um, in physics, we talk about two very different types of particles, bosons and fermions. And light photons are fundamentally bosons and electrons, protons and neutrons that we're made up of are fermions. And the reason this is important is fermions have an exclusion principle. They can't be in the same state. Bosons don't. They can be in the same state. And that's at the core of why we're solid and light isn't. So even though they talk about him as a hologram interacting with stuff all the time, if you, if you research this, the science of Star Trek tells you it's because of magnetic fields, which actually doesn't work. We've also addressed that often on the show, that magnetism doesn't interact with a lot of stuff. So it's not <laughs> right, the great yeah. way to go. Right, right, right. So it, it really is fundamentally, I think, unfortunately, the hardest physics thing to understand is what really would be the construct that is the doctor that's interacting with stuff. But the AI side of, you know, whether or not he's really a person or real, I think is great. You know, the episode where he goes nuts because there's a radiation thing and he was in the holodeck and, yeah, that's and a crazy he thinks episode. he's a real person. Yeah. From a philosophical point of view, I love that episode and, and the way he was like, well, why would I have this malfunction and not a different one? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I loved it. I thought that was a great episode. It was very confusing. Um, yeah. And, and again, I mentioned I fell asleep a couple of times. So imagine trying to figure it out when you've missed half of it. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I found kind of difficult to really kind of swallow here, though, is how they treat him like a member of the crew. We mentioned on the Next Gen episode how Jordy was talking to the new Ensign uh, why, and talk, basically pointing out why she was polite to the computer. 
And she mentioned, you know, we need to do that. And I mentioned, you know, there's a lot of that going on now. But with the hologram, in the holodeck, they just yell like, hey, computer, delete this. Hey, computer, do that. The computer doesn't have a name. It doesn't have anything. How is that any different than a hologram? Just because you can see it? Is that is it a visual thing? Or are we as humans so kind of tied into our visual feelings that that's why we give it, a, you know, kind of we have feelings towards it? Or yeah. I don't know. My understanding is early on. And then Ben can correct me if I'm wrong because he's the expert on the show. They were actually rude to the doctor because they still thought of him as a program. And they often accidentally left him running and he couldn't even turn himself off when they left the room. And it's only later, Dan, that they evolved to think of him as a a person, perhaps. Is that right, Ben? Yeah, roughly. So it it actually comes from Kess, who's who's a non-human who comes aboard the ship with Neelix when they first get to the Delta Quadrant. She sees the crew, so she ends up becoming the nurse for the first uh, few seasons before she leaves the show, and the ship, for that matter. Right. Uh, but the, uh, so she sees the crew being rude to the doctor, and she doesn't understand it, because she sees another creature. She doesn't really appreciate that it's just a program. She's not used to this. And she's the one who kind of talks to, to Captain Janeway about how the crew is being rude to the doctor, and kind of getting them in this mindset that this is an artificial intelligence that's going to be with them for, I mean, when, when for 70 years if they don't get any shortcuts. And that they need to treat it like a, a crew member because it is a crew member. The doctor will be with them for, for their lives. So I would just add to that, Dan. Um, it probably helps that it's the doctor that makes you be nice because it's the only person who can help you, person, thing, computer, whatever, that can help you if you're sick. So independent of what it's made out of, the thing that's going to help you, I'd be polite to just to be safe. (laughs) Sure. All right, fair enough. Now, one of the things that's intriguing, and again, I thought it was a little silly, but when you take a step back, it is actually a very interesting thing to consider, and that is that the doctor in one of the episodes falls in love with essentially a sick uh, creature, a Vidalian or something comes on Vidian. board. Vidian comes on board, and 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 she's very sick, and her brain is deteriorating. And they essentially take her memory out and create a hologram version of her. So she doesn't really exist. She's just ones and zeros that exists in a, in a modified AI in a hologram that they projected. And these two hologram AI programs fall in love. I mean, besides being the beginning of the robocalypse where robots are, you know, multiplying and taking over humanity, it is kind of an interesting idea. Could two AI programs be kind of geared to fall in love or to develop emotional attachments for each other? Well, I think in a, in a doctor model, you might end up that way because you're going to build in empathy, hopefully, for your patients in the doctor. Yeah. So you're going to have that programmed in and, and, and build on it. That's, that's my gut reaction there. But you're right, Dan. I don't know. It's, it, it is a fascinating thing to think about. Yeah, what, what Dan said there is, is critical. His, his whole journey is developing that empathy so that he's more than just, you know, a bone, broken bone fixer, which is what the emergency medical hologram was initially developed for was emergencies. Like what, you know, the ship's gotten blown up, the doctor's hurt. This is to tide you over until you get back to a star base. He's developing this empathy for the crew because he's going to be around for decades. And that has also developed into, you know, developing this romantic relationship with the uh, the Vidian's memories, which are stored in a hollow matrix. It's, yeah. 
Now she is a non-crew member, I should mention, but she is still, yes. you know, she's still, a, you know, a, I guess an AI entity. So maybe I don't know. Yeah, it, it's weird to think about because it's, it's, I mean, she's artificial, I guess, when she's in the computer, but it's based on her real brain. <laughs> it's weird. So it goes back to a lot of what we've talked about in episodes where we've talked about putting brains in a computer or other ways of save, saving them. It raises those interesting questions. So people should go watch all our other episodes if they haven't to find right. the one on brains. <laughs> right. Find and it also raises brains. the question of what is the doctor? Like, obviously, the emergency medical hologram was not created based on a, it was not based on a human brain. It, they like pretty specifically say that it's like it's like all the medical textbooks plus a basic personality. Right. So, yeah. you know, he's he's trying to fix that and he takes personality chunks from other characters often in other hollow novels to try to create a more complete personality yeah it's almost like they've created a race of hologram characters and, and creatures in a way that's ai powered which is kind of you know kind of cool because he does kind of hang out with other ai and, and hologram yeah. you know, creatures it's yeah. kind of cool uh, one i gotta have an in real life thing here so i'm gonna put up a little article there's this really cool uh, basically holograms that you can feel uh there's these great experiments being done using air pressure to kind of create a tactile sense and using sound wave to control uh uh, what you hear and kind of balance and, and kind of adjust light. Uh, I'm going to put that up. It's really, really cool. But let's, we're coming to the end here. We got to fit in our errors, additions, and omissions section. Uh, ben, did you have anything from Voyager? Uh, the other thing I really like is whenever the holograms have to turn into like saboteurs or heroes. There's a couple different episodes where, you know, they're on a ship that's been taken over by the enemy and now it's their job to. <laughs> To basically murder the aliens and get the ship back, which I think is always <laughs> right. pretty funny to see these uh, holograms try to figure out how to affect real, you know, how to affect heroism. Right. No, and also they're completely fake, and, and I mean they're photons, and they're trying to have a connection to real things and real people when they're just an AI program. Uh, yeah. I kind of like that that effect too. Uh, uh, Denon, do you have anything? I just keep wondering why these ships have so many civilians on them. <laughs> you know, you're going into these highly dangerous situations. Though I think Voyager may be kind of the best for that, right? It may have had the least number of civilians. I yeah. don't know. It was Voyager hard to didn't tell. have any civilians. Voyager oh, they actually was... managed to have no civilians? Well, okay, Voyager was that. built for war. <laughs> okay. Shoot, finally a ship built for war. <laughs> yeah. um, so there, there was an error correction to my error correction, but yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. But it quickly took on civilians. <laughs> Well, Once yeah, no, yeah, that, see, to prove my point. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, we I'm started out without. I'm glad we got that kind of kind of taken care of. I'm, I'm glad we, we finally resolved that, which is a definitely major issue. Uh, so one of the things that I thought was crazy is the holodeck malfunctions all the time. Uh, being in the holodeck <laughs> too much can actually create psychological disorders. And I was surprised that there aren't more regulations on who can use a holodeck, how, more safety. I mean, again, it goes to my safety features. I don't mean to be the Ralph Nader of the group. I love Ralph Nader. <laughs> but man, I'm always thinking about safety here. They still don't have seatbelts. They still don't have you know any kind of protective gear. And they're not taking care of the hologram. You can turn off the safety features. And they have real swords that can kill you. I don't get it. Maybe I'll get an answer in the future. Dan, on the safety thing, I I do want to point out that they maintain the consistent Star Trek mode of everybody throwing themselves around when the ship is hit. <laughs> right. <laughs> the school bus model. I would say there's also a great there's also some great bits where 
there's an episode where Harry starts falling in love with the hologram and they're like, come on, Harry, we've all fallen in love with the hologram at one point. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's got to happen. It's, you know, it's, but one of the episodes, the end, which is really an interesting episode, really quickly, a couple of fun things on there. Uh, they can't, there's a scene where they can't beam, beam people aboard because they don't want the ship to get too close to Earth. They got to beam some people off of the Earth. It takes place in like 1996. Uh, no cloaking? They didn't have any cloaking technology from the 24th or 25th century? I didn't understand that. I love that Sarah Silverman and Ed Begley Jr. are in that episode. Uh, there's, they talk about the Hermosa quake of 2047. And I feel like if it's not the Hermosa quake of 2020, which is also very possible given the current trajectory of the year, I do think that one may actually come true. I did like seeing all the LA hotspots, including the Griffith Observatory. And my favorite moment, the Ed Begley Jr. is typing in all of this information that he got off of a ship from the 29th century. And he's doing it, you know, they're, they're trying to upload it. And he talks about how there's 3,000 gigabytes of data. Well, as anyone now knows, that's three terabytes, which is absolutely nothing for us now in the 21st <laughs> century. We talked about in the Westworld episode how they have several yottabytes, which we talked about. Uh, yeah, I forget the exact conversion, but that is quite a bit bigger than a terabyte. Uh, they should have, you know, kind of figured that out. But anyway, if we've missed, some, missed something, you can contact the show. We're very easy to get a hold of. The show on social media is at FGGBTPod on Twitter. Just FGGBT. You got to leave the pod off when it comes to Facebook. But we got a little Facebook edition for Dr. Denon. What is you, how do we get in touch with you on social media? So Twitter and Instagram, you flip my name. It's at Denon Michael. And then on Facebook, as you said, you have to add in the prof. It's at prof Denon Michael. Makes sense. You take off the pod for the show. You add the prof for the Denon. Uh, ben, where can people find you? Well, for me, it's a lot simpler. I'm on all the major networks at B Seepser. <laughs> How do you spell that? B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn, on Facebook at analytical mastermind so we really kind of dove into deep dive here on holograms how they can affect you your personality how much fun they would be Uh, i'm very excited for this technology so if you're listening at home and you want to create your own holodeck just be responsible we're giving you a lot of important information here be responsible with it you want to be a superhero not a supervillain until next time thank you for listening Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glenn co-production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, if you like this show, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? The good news is we're on all the major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and now Spotify. If you're not already on those platforms, don't worry. We've made it very easy for you. Go to our website, FGGBT.com. That's FGGBT.com, where you will find links to everything you're looking for. All the subscribe buttons at the bottom of the page. Links to our social media are right there. And if you go to the top of the page, you'll see a little button that says episodes click on that and go to your favorite episode there you can find the show in its entirety you can find the links that we talked about the in real life examples that we brought to you including videos and of course we've got each episode has its own youtube video you can watch it there if you prefer and if you like this show you're gonna like everything that i do go to danieljglenn.com to find out more thank you for listening